Okay, welcome to today's episode of the Milk Minute Dairy Podcast. I believe this is episode number eight, and we have a, a pretty neat guest today that, that uh, is in this part of the world that's going to talk to us a little bit about um, using beef genetics in dairy herds. Uh, once again, this episode is uh, sponsored by Capital Farm Credit here in Muleshoe. Um, if you have any need for some uh, funding from an agriculture standpoint, please contact Chase Lloyd here in Muleshoe, and he can, he can get you taken care of. So thank you guys for supporting our podcast uh, today. Uh, so uh, as I mentioned a minute ago, uh, this is actually the first uh, episode in a two-part series that's dedicated to uh, the use of beef genetics in, in dairy herds these days. And so the, the first episode, this one today, um, I'm visiting with Bruce Arnold of Alta Genetics. And we're going to talk a little about uh, the genetic side of this and kind of how this has got going. It's, it's, a, it's a pretty hot trend uh, in the United States. And so uh, we're going to talk about that side. The next episode we'll do that's piggyback to this deal uh, we'll talk about the carcass side, and so we'll have some guys from Texas Tech on to visit with us on the meat science part of that. But uh, first and foremost, we're going to kick it off with Bruce. And Bruce, why don't you go ahead and just uh, give a little background of yourself and, and just let the viewers know, or the listeners know, hope nobody's watching this, let the listeners know uh, uh, who you are. Thank you, John. Yeah, my name is Bruce Arnold, and I'm going on year 39 now of working for Alta Genetics. So I've been playing around with genetics pretty much the majority of my life. Um, I do live here in Texas. I've been in. I'm not a natural Texan, but I've been naturalized. I wasn't born here, but I got here as quick as I could. <laughs> <laughs> I hear you. Um, uh, yeah, beef on dairy. It's a it's a great topic. Um, I'll uh, make one correction. You say it's a trend. I don't think it's a trend. I don't think this is going away anytime soon. Right. This isn't a fad or a trend. Um, in, in the years that I've been involved with dairymen and beef producers as well, dairymen always pride themselves on calling themselves dairymen. Today, I would almost argue that our dairymen are protein suppliers because they're either supplying protein in the form of milk or in meat. Fair enough. And uh, th this is going to continue. Um, it's, a, it's a product that's now being demanded and sought after in the market, where in the past where we were selling day-old Jersey Bulls or day-old Holstein Bulls that turned into steers. Um, it's a totally different market than that, totally different market. So yeah. it's, it's pretty exciting to see uh, the changes that are coming with it. Um, in my career, I'd say it's one of the two biggest things that I think were big shifters and influences in the whole market. I mean, a true dynamic change. Um, the first large dynamic change came about from sex semen. Right. With sex semen, that is what allowed this dynamic shift to happen. Gotcha. Okay, because dairymen now have the ability to source their next generation using high-level genetics on the best genetic females they have, and now they have surplus feed females that they can now use a beef product on to create another premium product. Right. So that is what has created this huge dynamic shift now uh, in the industry and it, to me, it's very, very exciting because done right, it can be a tremendous profit center for a dairy. Right. So how long is, I mean, give me a time frame of how long uh, this portion of adding to the profitability 
for a dairy has been kind of evolving? Well, it really started with a lot of the large Jersey producers. Because the large Jersey dairies, a day-old Jersey bull calf was not worth anything. I mean, it, they couldn't get $5. They couldn't pay people to take them. Right. So for anything they could do to not create a male Jersey was very, very beneficial. So they were the, really the first early heavy adoptive users of sex semen in milking cows as well because they didn't want any males being born. So it gave them an opportunity to try and cross them something with beef. And really, the early adopters of that came uh, with limousine. Uh, you had Wolf Limousine that was out of Minnesota and the upper Midwest that started doing a lot of crossing with a lot of the large Jersey dairies that were there. And that kind of grew. And, and that really kind of made the model for how do we do this. And it has evolved a lot since then. Um, there's... A lot of different breeds being used now. Um, there, there's still some limousine being used. There's a lot of Angus being used. There's a lot of Sim Angus bulls that are being used. Um, and there's even a lot of Charlotte's bulls being used now, depending on the market that you're in and what it is that you're trying to create for a product. Right. So are the bulls that are being used, let's say I was going to look up a, a semen directory, semen catalog with your company, are the beef bulls being used, uh, are they They're also being heavily used by... Uh, commercial beef guys as well? Okay. I mean, some of the same bulls, same genetics? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, within the company, we have a fight because we want to try and get our hands on the best bulls that we can, whichever uh -huh. breed they are, right. and that's what the beef producers want too. Right. I mean, we. I think we now have over 400 beef bulls in, in the bull stud. Right. Um, you know, I... I, I don't know the total stats within the United States, but I know in South America and Brazil and Argentina, we sell more beef semen than anyone in the world. Right. You know, it is really big. Yeah. Really big. Well, that's, uh, you know, I, I, I know in other parts of of the business, I mean, the genetic, I'm going to say domain is amazing. You know, if you, if you are in that business, even if you're just a small-time guy and you're utilizing um, – semen for your, your, your herd, man, you can get really deep in, you know, and you go in the catalog and you really focus on the EPDs and you really can get deep in your own research on making your decisions. So I can just imagine what goes on throughout your company in terms of putting all that together, you know? Right. And, and it's different things for different people in different markets. Right. You know, well, um, you know, we talked a little about dairymen having this ability to add beef genetics to their herds and we talk about adding a different level of profitability and you mentioned being a, a protein supplier and so um you know let's talk a little bit about what that looks like from different marketing options that these guys are using um the, for the calves you know what i'm saying the way it, it first started and people starting to use uh beef on dairy um, was pretty much they would use Angus semen or a limousine bull or whatever um, just on the lower end of their cows or on late service cows. Um, and they pretty much sold all of those calves as just day-old calves. Right. The rule of thumb for a lot of years has been whatever the market price of a day-old Holstein bull calf is, and that would fluctuate. There's times they're only worth 
$35-$40 up to times they're worth $200 as day-olds. But the rule of thumb was is they would usually get about a $100 premium for that black calf, if you will. You know, the, the guys buying those calves and selling them were looking for black calves. Right. And, and that really was driven mainly because of the certified Angus beef program. Correct. Okay. Yep. They were looking for a black-hided animal to get that premium and to chase that premium as well. Right. Um, but we learned very quickly early on that it is way more important to have the right genetics than it is just have a black hide. Correct. Okay. That's where we started having to look at what are our weaning weights? What are our yearling weights? What are our market traits? And, and depending on where you're at in the market and what you're wanting to do with calves will dictate what you're, what you should be trying to do and trying to breed for. Ultimately, we ought to be looking all the way to the end for the consumer that's going to be buying it in the grocery store, whether it's Walmart or Whole Foods or some specialty meat market, right. what drives and what's that product that they want at the end? Because that's what we have to create genetically right. to begin with. Whether we sell them as day-olds, three or four weights, or eight weights, or finish them all the way out and sell them on the, the grid, on you know hanging, right. um, we ought to be trying to make that best product. Because right. that's ultimately what's going to drive the profit in the end. Gotcha. Yeah. So, I mean... You know, we talked about the way that looks in terms of, uh, you know, these guys either selling them, you know, as day-olds or they retaining them till they're three or four weights or shipping them at eights or whatever. And so I'm sure uh, these these guys probably have a way better idea and have a way better plan for what that looks like on their actual dairy in terms of having this calf crop with those genetics in them they have to have a plan for marketing them, I guess, before they start all this. It is, I, I would highly recommend that thought process go all the way through. Right. Um, we, we learned early mistakes with sex semen. It was, a, it, was, it was the in vogue thing to do, use sex semen. And I got to use sex semen because if my neighbors are using it. If I don't, I'm going to fall behind. We had a lot of producers that end up and realized, oh, I created all of these heifer calves to get born but I only have half the capacity to raise all of the ones that I created. Yeah. So if we don't realize how we're going to have to take care of them after they're born, and it's the same thing for the beef calves, do you have the facilities to be able to feed them as day-olds and keep them? Does somebody have to pick them up daily? Can you be in a market where they pick them up weekly? Do you have the facilities where you can raise them to four weights? Right. And I have a lot of dairies that have realized that it's not that big of a leap, if they're already raising their heifers and just selling off their bull calves, yep. they don't have to do a lot. And your sponsor for today will like this because they can be involved with the <laughs> yeah. capital funding of it yeah. is the investment that they need to be able to raise them to four weights Right, is not a lot of money. And, and if they're really good at raising heifers, it's better and you'll have better returns and more profit going to four weights than maybe just selling as day olds. Right, right. But that's totally dependent on if you have the facilities to be able to do it. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. I, I totally see that. And so I mean, it's, uh, <clears throat> you know, I, I was driving. I can't remember where I was at the other day, and uh, someone said I was with somebody, and they said, "Look at that dairy. All their, all their." Uh, all their calves turned black. And I said, well, that's a crossbreeding system going on. I mean, and so, uh, you know, it's it's something that um, 
even us that just drive the roads notice and see and proud that you know there's an op- an opportunity to utilize science again to give you another option you know kind of like diversifying your operations so i mean right uh, i think it's one of the coolest things ever well we have dairy herds that are all holstein dairy herds that are all jersey and we have dairy herds now that are jersey holstein cross herds right and a, an F1 Jersey Holstein cross is a solid black animal. Mm-hmm. Okay. So one of the problems that, you know, not not 100% of everything is all rosy and great right. going to use beef. Right. Say you're using, you know, homozygous black Sim Angus bull or an all Angus, you know, black right. bull. If you have crossbreds and have black cattle and you use a black, all of your calves are black. Yeah. Yeah. Well, did I get the right calves tags from the right mama? Yeah. Exactly. And I'm keeping a beef cross calf to milk, and I sent one to the feed yard that's my dairy calf. Yeah. yeah. Okay. There, there's issues with that. And that's part of where uh, the Charolais has come in that is starting to grab some traction. Because if you're in a market that is looking for just added pounds of beef per carcass. Yeah, high yielding. High yielding. And you're in that market, the Charolais cross works beautifully. Yeah. Because anybody with just a nominal or minimal amount of beef experience can recognize a Charlotte calf when it's born. Right. They are different. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, they are. Yeah. So, I mean, we talked about, you talked a little about breeds. I mean, t- what do you think is, uh, I mean, I know everybody has different ideas of what they want to use. Is what is there a breed that's more popular than the other for, for this beef on dairy? The, the probably the most popular that's used on uh, straight Holsteins um, are Angus and some Sim Angus. It's, mm-hmm. That's gaining more and more popularity. On the Jersey and Jersey cross cows, it is, uh, there's more Charlotte getting used, but it's pretty heavy Sim Angus yeah. um, because the Sim Angus gives you just a little more volume and width and thickness and beef look right. than just the straight Angus. Right. Um, but again, there's pluses and minuses to weigh there too. Mm-hmm. The reason Angus has been so popular is they have the largest database right. with the most numbers and maybe the most accuracy of everything that we're picking from. Right. Sim Angus is growing and it's getting better, okay? But it's still not as much data as what the Angus Association has. Correct. And none, none of the beef breeds have data like we have with dairy. Right. And that is a frustration with the dairy producers because it's like, well, why don't you have hundreds of thousands of records on all yeah, of yes, this? Right. Well, because nobody records it and keeps it and <laughs> tracks it, <laughs> yeah. you know, but, but the good news is, is that is happening as we're even speaking. Yeah. Um, I, I have some producers that have done this and fed them all the way out to hanging them on the rail and killing them with all the data from the kill sheets and everything else for three years now. Mm-hmm. So we're now getting data in where we have, carcass data to compare to what EPDs on cattle are and by breeds right. and what's working and what fits for where we have to go with that. So when we talk about EPDs, most of these dairies, are they, when they're selecting beef sires, I mean, is uh, tell let's tell everybody kind of what, I mean, an EPD, for those that don't know, is an expected progeny difference. And so if you hear beef or anybody dairy genetic people talk and they say epds that's what it is and so in a nutshell just for if you don't know an epd is a is a figure that uh, is correlated to some certain trait within that 
sire or that pedigree, that package. And so they use these EPDs to make a prediction, I'll say, of kind of what to expect with the calf crop. So um, I know that kind of is really basic. And for those of my friends who have animal science degrees and, you know, I took some of those classes myself, uh, that may not be an exact deal. But for people that may not know, that's kind of what it is. So it's just a bunch of numbers. Uh, we all learn it. We all go after it. Depends on what you're after. Uh, you might, you and know. And for your dairy producers, you, an, an EPD to the beef world is the same as the PTAs that we read in all of our genetic proofs. We just call right. it a predicted transmitting ability right. in dairy, and it's an EPD in beef. Right, yeah. Basically refers the same way to a trait. Correct. What is the expected difference of the trait of this bull that you're looking at versus the average population of Correct. the breed based on a average year yeah. base for a genetic average? Base? I mean, it's like when people say, uh, my kid's in the 60th percentile of height. I mean, yes. you're, you're, you're basing that kid's genetics and you're, and you're trying to Correct. compare it to the rest of the world or Correct. whatever. So, I mean, Correct. that's in a nutshell what it is for people who don't know. But anyway, uh, getting back on track, uh, what, you know, what EPDs are these guys looking for? Um, what, what matters? Well, the, the, the real big concern to begin with with the dairymen is they were really afraid of large calves. Right. So I said, oh, we got to have calving ease. And I do think calving ease is, is important. Now, in dairy, we have tons and tons and tons and tons of data for calving ease on bulls and have got all the genomics of all of it and all the trends of it mapped and in a very, very, very tight standard deviation process. Mm -hmm. Okay, So when you read EPDs on calving ease direct or on direct birth weight, right. okay, it's different than what calving is in dairy. Gotcha. Okay. Dairy, calving ease in dairy is expected first difficult births. Gotcha. Okay, just in first black, first, first calving yeah. animals. Mm -hmm. Okay, where beef it is, you know, the calving ease direct or the, the 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 direct birth weight is how much bigger is this calf when it's born versus the average. Right. Okay, so it's a little different. Most of the dairymen were very very afraid of man. I can't have these great big huge calves being born that really just destroys the cow that i'm trying to keep alive and milk and make a profit from so it makes right. no sense to to hurt what's going to be the main profit center so all of us started using really 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 high numbered calving ease bulls and really extreme calving ease bulls with the beef bulls but what we've learned from that is that's maybe too extreme and we create too small of a calf right because then on the flip side you have a calf that starts small he ends kind of small Correct. I mean, and that's getting, why people are after what we call curve benders. You know, you want a small calf. I mean, it's like having two wishes in one hand, you know. Correct. You want a small calf, but you also want something that's going to wean at 600, you know, in a typical, you know, right. six-month weaning deal or whatever the right. you know, case may be. So, I mean, sometimes you can't have both, you know. Right. So um, we've gotten, and what I advise guys that are looking at it, I look for bulls that are higher than zero. Right. for calving ease, that don't have extreme birth weights. Gotcha. And most of the dairy calves we have now have the ability to have those calves without any problems whatsoever at all. Correct. Okay. Right. Where you, you start using some of the, the calving ease bulls that are the 20s and 23s, you end up with a lot of 40-pound calves. Right. 
yeah, they're, they're great. They spit them out and have no problems. But if you start on a beef animal at 40 pounds, which one that starts at 80 pounds, yeah. okay, you have 40 pounds to make up yeah. in feed and profit to become equal. Right. Okay, so it's it's a little different thought process. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it, it starts there with calving ease. That's very important. Uh, the other thing that's important is fertility. Okay. When we're breeding dairy cows, it's very important for us to get them pregnant as soon as we can. Right. Okay. The fertility data that's collected on beef bulls is, again, very lacking compared to what we do with known dairy bulls. So we learned really quick, particularly at Alta, we track all of the beef sire usage as well. And the variance of high consumption and low consumption within all of the beef bulls is a way bigger range than it is for the dairy. Okay, so when you're picking bulls, talk to whoever you're talking to as your genetic advisor. Tell them you want known good fertility bulls. Yeah. Okay, you can't make any gain in genetics until you get a pregnancy. Right. Okay, so make sure you use bulls that have known good genetics. Or if you're using some of the bulls that have extreme high genetics and there is not known fertility on them yet, use them sparingly until you know how they work within your own herd. Right. Okay, that's what I advise there. Um, from there, I think we need to be looking at weaning weights and yearling weights. Okay, depending if you're selling them as day olds, you really just need a really good, healthy day old calf. Correct. If you're selling them at four weights, you want to have ones that have a really good high weaning weight and then some growth after that, because those are the calves that are going to really look the part, and they look beefier. They're, you know, if you have a bull that's a 90 on weaning weight versus a bull that's 60 on weaning weight. That's 30 pounds of difference between the calves. Most cattle people looking at calves of the same age can see 30 pounds. Right, yeah. It's pretty visual. It's pretty easy. Yeah. Okay. So even if you're selling them as day-olds, if you don't use bulls that are good enough for these other traits, when it comes back around the next year to buy calves again, I bought them from Farmer Joe over here, and those calves were all real little and, and didn't, they didn't grow perform. very well. Yeah, yeah. You know, I don't want those again. Yeah. So you can you can actually hurt your future marketability by not doing things right the first to time. begin with. Mm-hmm. Okay. Makes sense. And so then, where you know, the guys that get them at four weights, they usually take them up to eights, and then they turn them to somebody else that takes them from eights and then takes them to finish them out. Yeah. Okay. So when we're at that yearling weight. Hey, where are they growing and where are they at? So yeah. you want good growth on those EPDs. You want good yearling and weaning weights. And then the guy that's killing them, okay, what what kind of a carcass do we have? Do we right. have steers that, that end up 60% choice and better when they grade out? Or do we have animals that grade out 90% right. choice and better? You know, there's premiums to be had if you're selling them on the, on the grid. Right. Okay. What we found is we can really run a very high choice and better with beef on dairy cross calves. And actually even better than the straight normal beef breeds. And because the reason for that is because the genetics we have used year and year and year over and over and over in the dairy industry is very, very tight genetically. Okay, So when we use a good beef bull, he works the same on 95% of the population you know, True. in yeah. one cross. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So that gives you a benefit of a lot of uniformity. You know, I mean, they're, you know, you, you take a 5,000 cow dairy, if they make 2,500, you know, or 3,000 beef cross animals a year, 
you've got 2,500 or 3,000 half siblings. Yeah, exactly. They're going to yeah. be, you know, they're tight. some a little bit different. Yeah. Yes. Very, very tight. But, you know, I have an older brother. If you put us side by side, you know we're brothers. Yeah, right. Okay, are we exact? No, but, you know, yeah. same thing. Right. Okay. So, the, you know, it's important that we get all those, those traits right. Yeah. So uh, when we talk about breeding the females that are available on a dairy, um, you know, I know that there's a certain amount of guys that uh, they have to think about the herd in terms of they got to they got to raise some replacements, you know. But so, what does it look like? I know I know there's not a typical situation, but are we using beef on on heifers? Are we talking uh, second or third lactation animals? What are we talking about? There, there's a several different strategies for how we use beef on dairy, and I would what I recommend is is whatever is going to fit the management style of the dairy is probably the best way to go. Right. And what I mean by that is, is in a perfect ideal world, I say I want to know the best genetics of my females to be the mothers of my next generation. Correct. You can do that two ways. You can do it using just pedigree averages. So if you have a good sire ID on your dairy, okay, and you know the pedigree averages of everything, about 90% accuracy you can pick by pedigree averages, who your best females are, okay? Well, then that's going to mean that you might have a third lactation cow, few, some second lactation cows, maybe a third of them first lactation cows, and about half or two-thirds of your virgin heifers are what's going to fall at the top of that curve. Right. Okay? A lot of people say, well, I'm just going to use it all in my heifers, my sex semen in my heifers. I get a little better conception, and that's where my best genetics are. True and false. Right. On average, your heifers, your lactation zero heifers, have a higher genetic average than your lactation ones that are higher than your lactation twos. But that doesn't mean all of them are. Right. Because even in your lactation zeros, some of those heifers came from this fifth lactation cow. Right. That wasn't a good cow that did get pregnant and still had a calf and we kept her. Right. Okay. So depending on how intense you want to put the system in, to create the genetic gain in the females. Mm-hmm. Okay. But that's harder to implement. It's easy to say, let's just breed all of the heifer sexed and then maybe some first lactation cows and then beef the rest of the way. Okay. So, um, it, it, it there's different ways that we can do things, even indexing by pedigrees, um, the female populations in dairies, uh, at Alta, we do what we call a, my female index ranking. And we actually create custom indexes for dairies for what drives their profitability in the dairy world. Because are they paid for fluid milk? Or are they paid on a cheese merit? Or are they paid on components? Or on pounds of fat, pounds of protein? We, we customize the indexes so that we can drive that dairy's profitability. There's national indexes out there, whether it's net merit or whether it's TPI that are indexes um, that are okay indexes, but that's for the average of all cows in the whole United States. How milk is marketed in West Texas is totally different than how it's milk marketed in Florida. Florida is almost 100% fluid utilization. They get paid for fluid pounds of milk. Right. In West Texas, we get paid for pounds of fat and pounds of protein and get charged deducts on 100 pounds of milk 
for the for the haul. Right. So here we are way better off putting more emphasis in on pounds of fat and pounds of protein than we are looking for high pounds of milk. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah that makes perfect sense. I, you know, I, you know, we talked about, you know, just the differences in, in, uh, in what you know how this looks like from a protein standpoint. So what you just said, kind of gives the listener a little bit more of a wrap your head around mindset of exactly what these guys are facing in terms of, you know, sure, ex- what what they have to do to pr- and, to, to make a product. I and guess the market changes. Yeah. Um, right now, protein is worth a lot more than fat. Right. But a couple of years ago, fat was worth more than protein. Right. Now, year in and year out, my personal belief is protein is always going to be worth more than fat. Right. Year in and year out. So when we make genetic plans, we can put the percent emphasis that we want on pounds of protein or on pounds of fat, you know, and, and, and change how much influence we want in our next generation. You know, how much do we want to, to have our genetic plan go towards production? How much towards health? How much towards animal confirmation, you know, when you can change all that up and you've got those different things in, in those national indexes, like TPI and net merit, for example, both have, you know, 42, 44% of their index is based on production. Mm -hmm. Most of my large dairies want 65 to 75% of their index based on production. Right. They know they get paid for these pounds of fat and pounds of protein. Right. Whether a cow has a little bit better looking udder or is a little fancier in the way they stand, they don't care. If they're right. functional and they do what they need to do, they can go from the feed bunks to the milk and parlor and back efficiently, trouble free. That makes profit. Right, right. You know, if, if yeah. you can get 20 more pounds of combined fat and protein out of every animal, every lactation, because of the genetics that she has, it will make you more money. Yeah. Any uh, 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 going back to the beef uh, side of things a little bit. Anybody uh, keeping uh, heifers that are beef crosses for any reason, or I mean, uh, you know, we always talk about marketing the beef product, marketing the animal, the end goal be a pure beef, you know, protein product. Anybody keeping heifers that are crossbred for any reason, or I I have a couple of producers that have kept some. Because they didn't think some of the mama cows they had were, because they have some beef herds on the side too, and they right. didn't think the beef cows had enough milk, if you will, right. in them. So I said, well, let's see what happens if we keep some of these dairy crosses, and how good a mama cows will they be? Uh-huh. Um, you can tell a lot of the things that we have bred in dairy and have focused on, and production is one of them. Right. And when you see those cows, you do get a lot of cross cows that give a lot of milk and they'll raise a lot of good calves. They don't do well out on the range. Yeah. They weren't bred to survive out on the range. You know, it, 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 the analogy I'll make is we have your regular automobile car. We drive around every day that'll use 86, 87 octane and you have race cars that use rocket fuel. Right. Okay. Our modern dairy cow is used to eating rocket fuel and producing milk. Mm Mm-hmm. She's not used to eating tumbleweeds and rough grasses and native grasses and being able to do what we asked her to do. And having to walk two miles of okay. water. It, yeah. It, yeah. It, it, it does not work well. Yeah, yeah. 
So the for the dairy side of it, focusing on the beef product that we can focus on yeah. makes way more sense than trying to develop females. We have all the females we need. Right, exactly. For, yeah. for, for creating yeah. it. We don't need to create others to create others. more. Yeah, yeah, right. Okay. Yeah. yeah, I mean, you have a, you have a, you know, genetic superstore sitting right there. Yes. I mean, you know. Yes. And, and that's, and that's where we're coming when, and there's a lot of other things that, that we have learned over the last year or two. Um, Colostrum getting put into calf on day one. Extremely important. Right. Okay. In the old days, I'm the dairyman. I really don't care about my bull calves. Guys are buying them, taking them as day olds. They're out of sight, out of mind. I don't have to worry about them. Right. Well, we really ought to think about them because if they don't get colostrum on day one right, they're not as good of a doing animal and won't produce as well and gain as well as ones that's gotten the colostrum right. Right. Okay. And we've even grown the science from there to what happens if we give colostrum more than just on the day it's born? You know, a beef calf sucking on mama gets a lot of colostrum on day one, a little less day two, a little less day three, and so on. So we've done a lot of research, and we now know that we call it a post-day one feeding. If we give like a tenth of a dose of a normal colostrum for 14 days, it totally changes the makeup of those calves. Right. Changes how their rumens are in the villa and how everything in their in their rumen functions. And those calves end up gaining better. Yeah. So part of why our dairy calves in the past, the feedlots didn't like them because they didn't have as good of a well to gain, it very well could be that we were screwing those calves up on day one by not feeding them right or feeding them the colostrum and the quality replacers that they needed for the first 15 days of life. Very true. Very true. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, you know, as I, while you were talking about that, because I, we talk about just the differences that this strategy, uh, I mean, I have a couple of other questions for you that I hope I don't forget, man, my, my, because my mind is just <laughs> like, if people could see what my mind is, if I could see what my mind was doing, man, it'd be amazing, but it's just going, you know, I have these little yep. neurons bouncing all over, but, um, I think that's called we, ADD. Well, yeah. uh, it may be. I, I've, I've I've never been, you know, diagnosed with anything like that. But sometimes I wonder if I if I am a little bit like that. But anyway, uh, what I'm saying is, with the beef on dairy calves, and not just beef on dairy, but let's just say that because that's what we're talking about, that creates a whole other management opportunity on the farm. I mean, you oh, know, absolutely. like you said, so like you know, you're talking about the bull calves back in the day, you know. I remember being a broke college kid going and getting bull calves for 30 bucks, you know, yeah. and thinking, I'm, I'm going to raise all these bull calves and I'm going to all this, that, and the other, you know, right. just some, you, some you know, just you're a college kid. You're just trying to make a little extra money, sure. whatever. It sounded like a great idea. It was not a very good idea, but that doesn't matter. But what I'm saying is, so you're going to retain those bull calves. So little things that we, you know, um, we were in the beef business for a lot of years and little things that come second nature to you, to us are now things that they have to institute. Like for instance, castration. I mean, you know, used to you were getting rid of all your bull calves and now you're having to keep yep. them. And yep. you know, are you going to castrate them when they're a little bitty? Are you going to wait till they, you know, are you, you, you going to band them as day old? Exactly. What percent do you have that, didn't yeah. have two testicles that have dropped all the yeah. way, or when do you yeah. recheck them? And I mean, there's there's things that have to happen. Yeah. But with that, 
you know, even some of the dairies, you know, in this in this part of the world, most of the dairies are three, four thousand cows and larger. Right. But even you know, thousand cow dairies. Think about if you go to now keeping your beef calves and implementing those calves, we now have twice as many calves on feed. That does take more labor, but that gives us the ability now to specialize more in what we're doing with maternity, what we're doing with the first 10, 15 days of care, what we're doing with pre-weaning and post-weaning of calves. We now get to specialize in more areas and do a better job of it. Right. So if we do a better job of it, we're going to end up with a better product and more profit at the end as well. Yeah, yeah. No, no doubt, no doubt. I think it's a neat deal. What uh, I'm, We're kind of, man, we've had such a good conversation, and uh, <clears throat> we're going to wrap up here in a little while. But um, what are some other things genetically or scientifically that you're seeing that, that are going to be opportunities for dairies to use in the coming years? I mean, uh, things that are coming down the line that maybe we don't always see or hear about that you can talk about, really. Um, well, the, the first and obvious one with the beef deal is when do we start using all sexed semen in beef as well and create all males? Because we have more gain with the males versus the females, and we have more carcass weight. And those are two really big drivers mm-hmm. in the beef industry. It, it, it's a, you, you give up a little bit on the quality end. Right. Okay. But you still end up with more beef per carcass, just like a dairy wants 100 pounds of milk per cow per day instead of 80 pounds of milk per cow per day. Right. Okay. Same kind of thing. So as we're learning more and more with sex semen and the quality of sex semen gets better, we can do that. But now things are getting integrated through the beef side where before they'd say, well, yeah, we'll pay you X number of dollars, you know, say it's $40 or $50 more for a, a beef calf or a male calf versus a female. Well, with the amount of breedings it takes to create the calf, that's basically a wash and a trade-off for what just the cost of the semen is. Right. Okay. That's not enough because when you use sex semen, you have a reduction in fertility. So on a dairy, you now have more days open and don't get the cows pregnant as quick. So that costs that dairyman more money. Yeah. So, there's guys out there now modeling, okay, what can we really truly pay if we know these are the calves that we're getting and this is how they've performed and this is what we're done? There could be some opportunities where there's more bonuses coming in for using sex semen. So that's one of the first things technology-wise, you know, that's coming. What's the difference, real quick, what's the difference in price for uh, sex semen versus unsex semen? Just it depends on the genetic level that you're looking at. Um, but it, on in just layman's term say you're talking 15 to 18 dollars more per straw sexed of the same bulk conventional right. gotcha okay you know that's that that that's close so, yeah that's yeah that's that's yeah. all is yeah getting after them. anyway yeah. uh oh you were saying something and i i interjected you i can't remember. oh well oh. technology wise um oh yeah the, the other things with technology that are coming is you know you have the whole argument over gmo and non-gmo Okay, one of the first things that that they're talking about that they wonder if if they can get changed. And I was reading an article just this morning or yesterday um, that instead of FDA controlling things that happen with genes and genetics and uh, GMOs, they're thinking about transferring all of that over to USDA because they have more experience and everything with it, with GMOs and crops and this and everything else. So the obvious one that comes up with cattle is if they're polled. Right. Okay. 
Most people don't want to buy pole genetics because they are totally inferior. You know, they have to give up $150, $150 of genetic value to use a polled male. Right. It, it economically does not make sense to do. But with like the CRISPR technology and stuff we have out there, they can do the gene editing and we could be 100% polled if that technology is accepted, right. it's approved, you know, and then I'm sure we'll still have the debates with, you know, the GMO versus non-GMO, you know, but, but there's stuff like that, 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 that's coming. Yeah. That's interesting. I, I don't think a lot, I think a lot of people only think about GMOs is when they're talking about the food they're eating. They don't, I don't think they think about the genetic side of the animal industry. Correct. You know? And that's, and that's a huge thing. It's, it can be really, really big. Yeah. Uh, Bruce, what else do you have on the beef versus dairy that you'd like for people to learn about? I think we've learned a whole lot this uh, morning, but I, I this like I love this 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 one of my favorite interviews. I say that every time though, by the way. But uh, this <laughs> that's is okay. this is really cool because I think that uh, anytime whether it's a dairyman or beef guy or whoever, and and I've said this once, I say it again. Uh, anything they can do to diversify and stay up with with uh, the market. Sure. To, make, to, to position themselves better is for sure a great idea. Right. And, and, and like I said earlier, I would say this is, this is not going to go away. This is only going to grow and get more intense and more specialized. Um, I, I've been having conversations with some large feeders that are now wanting to put together groups of animals so that they can brand their own product, so that they can put enough calves together to where they – have a whole day kill at a plant so right. they can label and brand everything they want. No different the than they want to. No different than Nolan Ryan or, or certified Hereford beef or certified Angus beef. You Correct. Know, same Correct. along the same lines. And then um, hopefully we can talk to these guys at tech about that too next, right. next and time. And they're wanting and, and doing that, then you now we can set up a structure where, hey, there's premiums to be made by selling these high yielding cattle that are now hundred percent source verified. Not just verified to what calf ranch they came from or right. what feed yard they came from. We could take it all the way back to know what mama cow on what dairy they came out of and know whatever generations of pedigree information we know from there. Yeah, true. I mean, it is the ultimate of source verification. Yeah. Okay, which will, for the for the people wanting that and the consumer end of things, it's as good as it can get. Yeah, okay? for sure. Um, <clears throat> we can have a product that is extremely uniform all 12 months of the year. The dairy industry is not like the beef industry where things calve out twice a year, spring right. calving or fall calvings. We calve 12 months out of the year, right. and we feed all the way around. Right. So it can change up percentage-wise of how feed yards actually work and operate. Yep. They'll be selling things monthly because that's right. where they were at. You know, and it, So cash flows Fall different through dairy. Yeah. Yeah. It'll, you know, it'll, it'll turn cyclical. You know, so there's, there's tremendous opportunities that are coming. but. Yeah. Highly, highly, highly encourage everybody. If you're getting into the beef or have started with the beef, make sure you use the right genetics first. Correct. Because it can come back to bite you in the future. It, and you may not see it first quick, or second time, but you'll see it. The short, quick gain, you know, is is not worth what it can cost you in the long run. You're exactly right, especially if you want longevity in the business. Correct especially for that. Right. Well, and, and if we're having markets that are created 
that know, hey, they do a phenomenal job raising these day-old calves and keeping them alive and raising them to four weights and they're healthy, and I have this much less, less death loss and this much less sickness because of the quality of the calves, that creates more premiums at the end to share with the person that created it. Right. And, and those conversations are starting to happen in the feedlot world now. Yeah. Oh, Instead yeah. of in the past, it's like, ah, it, it, I might get in trouble saying this, but in the beef world, they discounted the dairy calves because they could. It's not that there's any science or logic or anything behind it. It's because they could. Right. You know, it's just the way it was. But that's starting to change because they're realizing that we can have a premium product here that doesn't have to have the problems they have experienced in the past. Yep. That's that's cool to watch that evolve, really. I mean, yes. And, and you know, what you mentioned about having a, a source verified product. Yeah. I mean, uh, because, in, and I'm not, man, I tell you what, my family was is still in the beef business, has been in the beef business for generations, mm-hmm. you know. So I'm not going to say anything negative about the beef business. But one thing that's hard for us to do in, in terms of large-scale production is to say, you know, that calf is that from that mama. I mean, there are guys that can do that, and I realize yeah. that. But, you know, to have that opportunity, especially, you know, it seems like this podcast, we always go back to uh, the public or the consumer wanting to know where things come from. Mm-hmm. And so with, and that's not a fad either. And that is not going to be a trend, you, but you ever go to five guys burgers? Yeah. You walk in, there's a sign. Yeah. Today's potatoes were came from, from blah, blah, blah. And they yeah. give you the guy's yeah. name and the farm that came from right. Idaho. Yeah. And so, I mean, that, that's not just uh, um, being used to market. Well, it is It's not being used to uh, attract. It's being used because it has to be used. And so when you can go back to that dairy, and, and, you know, like I said, their genetic information they have on their females is just amazing. Yep. Um, and to have that right there in one farm, and you can say, yeah, that calf came from that, okay, that lot, that calf, blah, 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 all the way back to her. Yep. And know what breed she was. Exactly. Or was she a cross, or was she a straight Holstein, right. or a straight Jersey? And what was her mother, and what was her mother, yeah. and what was her mother? And be able to tell that. Yeah. Not saying that a consumer is... I mean, they might, but, you know, they just want to know that we have data backed up, information backed up on the product that came to their table. Yeah. Uh, and well, same with the milk, too. But, I yeah. mean, you know, to have that opportunity to do that and not just go to a grocery store, pick up a steak, grill it, and not know anything about it, uh, you, that's, that's you an amazing opportunity. Select, choice, yes, sir. and prime. Right. We, we get that and we understand that. I don't know the number statistically, but I would venture to bet 95% of the people that go and buy a steak at Walmart have no idea what those mean. <laughs> and they don't know how to look for intermuscular fat. They don't know how to look for the right mark. They, they don't know any of that. Yeah. They want to be able to go and buy a steak, enjoy it, go back and buy the same one again, or what they think is the same thing, and have the same eating experience. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, And that has been very hard for the general public to do. Right. So we're trying to put things in place that allow that repetition to happen. Right. To be able to be repeatable. Right. You know, they come in 99 out of 100 times, they get that exact same steak. You're right. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty hard on a meat case. <laughs> I understand. As a matter of fact, I don't go to a whole lot of meat cases. There are certain ones that I go to, but I'm pretty hard on them. And so yep. I have a hard time with uh, some of the quality grading that goes on. But that's, 
that's for a whole nother episode. That's oh, just yes. we were talking you earlier with the tech guys. Yeah, yeah. That, we were talking <laughs> earlier about the the meat science background from uh, from my Texas Tech days, and uh, uh, so we'll get into that, you know, here in the next episode. But man, Bruce, it's been so awesome to have you, and I'm glad that you're in the area that we can make this work. And uh, no problem. You, sometimes whenever you send emails for contact people, you know, it's a giant company. I mean, yeah. I had to pick between United States, Europe, Brazil. You know, obviously sure. I know where we live, and I. Just sent an email, and I was like, well, I don't know if I'll – I mean, I don't know if the lady I sent an email to is – I mean, I'm sure she's in Wisconsin or somewhere. I don't know. And Well, you that, call gal, her. that gal's actually just outside of Toronto. Oh, oh, <laughs> even even better. And so I thought, uh, man, I, don't, I may just have to look for a phone number some other way, you know. And uh, so when you called me, I was like, oh, my gosh, like, that worked, you know. So kudos to your company for making the – you Thank know, a small-time county agent in Bailey County, Texas, able to reach you somehow. Yeah, well, not a problem. We try to be accessible to people. Yeah. I mean, we are in sales, so yeah. we do need to be accessible. <laughs> yeah, you're just not selling anything to me. So That's okay. Uh, but, but, man, I'll tell you what, I'm, I'm so glad that you came, and I, uh, I hope that you can take some zucchini out of my garden home because <laughs> uh, you saw the bumper crop that i've got in front of the office but it's a um, cool little garden yeah yeah so that's uh that, that hopefully we can send you home with some of that from meal shoe but bruce like i said it's been awesome to have you on here and um i know that this episode is interesting to a lot of people and i think that when we pair it up with the next part of this episode with the piggyback episode on the meat science standpoint of this whole deal that uh It'll be super interesting to tie those things sure. together for our listeners, you know. And so, sure. uh, like I said, we will uh, we will have this thing out. Uh, we've got another podcast to interview or to set up this week, and then we'll do the meat science one. So we'll get them all clumped together and and sent out there. Uh, as always, it's the Milk Minute Dairy Podcast. This is episode number nine, and uh, we want to thank Bruce Arnold for coming down from Alta Genetics and talking to us today. Uh, again, this was uh, sponsored by Capital Farm Credit here in Muleshoe. Uh, contact Chase Lloyd if you uh, are trying to get into the crossbred beef on dairy business or anything else that needs some uh, investment, lending, capital, whatever you need. Uh, maybe a free cap, sort and stick. You know, I'm sure he's got plenty of that stuff down there at his office. Uh, but anyway, thank you guys for uh, for sponsoring that. And uh, find us uh, again. We are we are on the hosted platform of Anchor. And uh, these things get uploaded to Spotify. And so, like I told Bruce earlier, I'll send the link out to him so he can listen. And um, we thank you guys for being faithful listeners on our podcast. And until next time, see you later.